Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Well, it's an incredible pleasure to have Dr. Alan Meyer with us today. And um, it's always a pleasure to have him visit our church. He's part of the family. Um, and um, where he thinks he's part of the family. So he acts like he's part of the family, and he is. Uh, he, he said he wants to learn Italian, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's going to be good. Uh, for those that know, don't know Alan, um, he's, um, he and Helen have been married for uh, quite a number of years. Mar- oh, sorry, married to Helen. And uh, been in ministry for many, many years. And they've been married for, to Helen for a couple of How many? 53 years. Come on, give him a hand. Uh, he and Helen have put together a whole bunch of uh, programs, uh, Life Keys uh, courses. Uh, over the last two or three days, we've been doing the uh, Search for Life course, which has just been very powerful. One of the one of the courses that Alan teaches is the Valiant Man course, which we have done for many years here at Life Christian Centre. It's a, it's a program that helps men overcome sexual addiction. has been very powerful uh, for a lot of the guys here in church. He's a great communicator of the word. Uh, he's authentic, he's down to earth. He's a passion to see people restored um, and marriages restored and families restored. We're so privileged to have him with us today. So come on, give him a big, big, big shout out as he comes uh, to share the word of God. To learn Italian. <laughs> I mean, I, I was in Italy some years ago. <clears throat> And we were staying in a farmhouse up in Tuscany and the lady who looks after the house can't speak a word of English. And she was showing us around the house and I didn't have a, many words of Italian. And um, she was showing me the heater and pointing at it and speaking in Italian. And eventually she gave me a little piece of paper and all it had on it was Al Giorno... 50,000 and of course I thought how hard can Italian be what she's saying to me is that there is if I use the heater there must be a fuel merchant and his name's Al <laughs> his, his name's Al Giorno I'm Al Meyer he's Al Giorno and I thought clearly what's going if I use the heater it's going to cost us 50,000 lira so that was very clear to me, and oh, I felt very good. I thought, how hard can Italian be? It was after we got home and we got a bill for 350,000 lira that I discovered that Al Giorno is not the name of the local fuel merchant. I have more lessons to take yet. For those of you who don't speak Italian, Al Giorno means per day. And once we started the heater, she was charging us 50,000 liras a day. And I was a very foolish young man to think I could figure out Italian because I'd been there for 15 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. It's a m- terrible thing. I came to Joe's house last night with my slippers on because this, his house is my house. I want to tell you a story. A story of an unfolding experience that I had in 2015. 2015 was the centenary of the Anzac uh, remembrance of the landing 
at, at Gallipoli Cove back in 1915, and Helen's grandfather was one of the young men who piled out of a boat onto Anzac Cove a uh, hundred years ago. We had an opportunity to, we didn't get in, the, in the, um, the, the lottery to get tickets to be there for the special day, but a cruise came up and we suddenly decided we're gonna go on a cruise and we're gonna, we'll get to Anzac Cove the day after the special day and we'll go see this place where um, her grandfather had survived. In the two days of cruising from Rome to Turkey, there was a man on board who was giving lectures on the whole issue of Anzac. And it was really interesting because he was an expert. And I don't think anyone had ever spent that much time explaining the history of how did Australia get involved in a, in a war against Turkey on the other side of the world uh, as part of the First World War. And, he was, it was really interesting to get that understanding. And I was, the question I wanted to know is why were Australians so quick to sign up to go jump into a foreign war um, back in 1915? And as a result of that, uh, he, I kind of was introduced to the big story of the First World War. Well, the big story of the First World War is summarised by the lion, that's representative of Britain, the kingdom. The, the focus of freedom, truth, liberty, and goodness in the world, and, and liberty is under attack. And the young lions, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, they, they've all got to come to the aid of the old lion. So the big story is a glorious one. It's a story of huge themes, the whole world involved in a fight of freedom versus oppression. Doesn't get much bigger than that. And the big story is a story about the courage of nations and the commitment that it requires to protect freedom and the camaraderie of those who are prepared to sacrifice. It's amazing. Of course, the big story has brass bands, um, big crowds, great parades. Wonderful thing, the big story. Um, they march the streets. They are very impressive and huge numbers of the population are stirred. And the big story is a call for commitment. Um, who could fail to want to answer the call when something is such a worthy sacrifice? Who could possibly stay home and say no? And then there was this sense as men were signing up that this is really a glorious adventure, a very exciting adventure. Um, we need to go to the next one, guys. Um, this is an exciting adventure. Next one. Thank you. No, go back one. Maybe I jumped you. Sorry, my fault. Shut up, Al. Stay out of it. Go back to where the boys were signing up. That one there. That's the one. Big glorious adventure. Let's all sign up. We'll go have an adventure overseas and we'll all be home by Christmas. Save the world and it'll just be an amazing and glorious adventure. But it was as I was standing on the beach at Anzac Cove in front of the graves of individuals that you realise that there's a huge contrast between the big story and the small story. Within every big story, within every big story, there are a whole bunch of small stories. And the small stories are often very poignant. Um, they're very moving. 
They're often also confronting. And all too often, they're not glorious at all. They're just the consequence of loss and struggle and suffering and feelings of futility. And when you're standing in front of those little graves, you cannot help but feel the tension between the two. Um, maybe even some of us here today have heard the names, the great names of the big story. General Allenby, Churchill, who was involved in arranging the attack at Anzac Cove in preparation for the, the First World War, part of that, war, that uh, war effort. And he would later on play such a crucial role in the Second World War. Great names like Churchill. But reconciling these two big things, the huge story and the little story, is often very hard to do. Who's ever heard of Trooper W.J. Gribble? Who's ever heard of him? And you stand in front of his stone and you read his name for the first time. There's no song written for Gribble. He was a trooper of the 9th Australian Light Horse. And written on that stone are these words, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I hope you do. The tension between the big story and the small story goes to the very heart of the Christian life. And it also goes to the heart of one of the books in the Bible, and that is the book of Ruth. It just happened to be that while I was on that cruise, I was reading the book of Ruth and I was preparing to speak on Mother's Day when I got home. Um, Anzac Day happens in April every year and Mother's Day happens a couple of weeks later uh, in May and I was preparing on that trip and as I was just feeling the tension between the big war stories and the little war stories, I was reading another war story. It's called the Book of Ruth. It's a story of two mothers, one named Naomi and another called Ruth and these are two women who were caught up in a very big story because the biggest story of all goes right back to the book of Genesis with the fall of humanity and the pronouncement by the creator of the heavens and the earth that there would come a day when there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of, of Satan and as a result that God would be able to work a great salvation for every tribe, every language and every nation under the face of the earth until at the end of all time there is a community that is virtually beyond number of those who have come to be part of the household of God. Big story. It's the biggest story you'll ever hear. And the book of Ruth was written by the prophet Samuel to explain a very simple thing. And that is, how can we show the link between God's promise first in the book of Genesis, which then is transferred to Abraham, and to Abraham the promises made by you, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And finally, to bring it to the king of kings, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. And the biggest story, there aren't, aren't any bigger stories than that. And this little book is, to, is to just to demonstrate the link between the promises of God in Abraham and Jesus Christ. And one of those links is two little women. 
How does King David, the great King David of Bethlehem, um, how does he ever come to be the son of the tribe of Judah, the son of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? And that's all the book of Ruth's about, just to demonstrate the role of two little mothers in the greatest story that will be ever told. And it's a very pointed insight because as you read the book, you realise how hard life can be for a mum. And you realise how poignant and how difficult it could see that what was going on in that troubled life could have anything to do with a big story. It's just impossible to see. How could, my, how could my troubled life ever play a part in God's big story? It's just a troubled life. It's not easy to see your part in a big or something great when life is full of trouble. And yet that's exactly how it is. These two little women can't see the future. They don't yet, King David has not yet been born in Bethlehem. And Jesus has not been yet been born in Bethlehem. And he has not yet died on the cross and risen from the dead. And we haven't even yet, you and I haven't come to that great day of the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. In many ways, we, our little lives, part of a great story. You can only see the past. You can't see the future. And the big story that these little women are caught up in is the story of Israel. God chooses Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Out of Jacob comes Joseph. Joseph has 11 brothers who don't like him very much. He's got 10 brothers that don't like him very much. Benjamin was okay. As a result, they sell him. I had trouble with my brothers. We never tried to sell each other. It never got that bad. <laughs> but they sold him. And Joseph goes down to Egypt as a slave. And even as he's trying to be, be honourable, ends up in prison himself. But the grace of God raises him out. And he becomes second in charge to Pharaoh. And then famine hits the world. And Jacob and his boys all have to move down to Egypt. And there for 400 years, Israel develops into a great and mighty nation until they find themselves with the yoke of slavery around their neck. Then God raises up Moses in one of the greatest acts that history's ever seen, and he draws out the millions that were in Egypt and carries them to the promised land. And then it was Joshua who led them across the Jordan River, taking the city of Jericho first, and then on into the promised land. And then now for some years, the judges have been ruling in the land of Israel. And this little story begins in the town of Bethlehem, where one day Jesus would be born a thousand or so years, 1,200 years later. Bethlehem, interesting. It, it, the word means the house of bread. Trouble is there is no bread. It's a time of famine. And there's a little family there. A man by the name of Elimelech is married to a woman by the name of Naomi. And they have two sons, and we even know their names, Marlon and Killian. And it's famine that eventually drives them out of, that, out of their, their, their promised land. It's not the first time famine kind of pushes people around in life. And here, this little family crossed the Jordan back into foreign territory, back into Moab. Because there's, at least there's food in Moab. And there they seek to establish themselves in that foreign land, in the land of Moab. And... If life wasn't hard enough, Naomi's husband dies. And now she's a widow with two sons in a foreign land. 
Well, the two boys marry two local girls. Two little Moabitesses, one's named Orpah and the other is named Ruth. Girls growing up in a land that doesn't have a faith in Yahweh, don't have the same faith. But these two boys marry two local girls and mum, the mother-in-law, Naomi, just soldiers on for 10 years. And over the period of time, one after another, the boys, two boys are now dead. It's not really going well for poor old Naomi. Now she's in a foreign land, her husband's dead, her sons are dead, and she now has two little daughter-in-laws who are Moabitesses, and she expresses her heart in these words. She says, the Lord's hand has turned against me. When the time comes for her to think about what she's now going to do with her depleted future, they hear that um, rain has fallen in Bethlehem and wheat is growing again and there's a possibility that her, her relatives back in Bethlehem may well now be able to support them. And this little girl, Naomi, has got to decide, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And she figures, well, I better go home. And she says to her two daughter-in-laws, girls, there's no future for me. I'm an Israelite in a foreign land. My husband's dead. My sons are gone. And all of us are now going to have to find a future. And I can't be that future for you. I've got to go back home. And I need you to know this is how I feel. She says, the Lord's hand has turned against me. What a sad... You feel like God's not even for you. You feel like God's not on your side. And now there's a decision that these two girls have to make. What are we going to do? Are we going to stay... Maybe we could go back to our own families because that's where they live, that's where they are. And Orpah decides that the wisest thing for her is to simply allow Naomi to leave and just go back to her own family and seek to make a future. But the wonderful thing about Naomi is that in all of the crisis of her life, and even though her heart feels bruised and her testimony is that God's hand has turned against me, there is something about the way this woman has handled the tragedies of her life. And for all of those words, her faith in Yahweh, her faith in the creator of the heavens and the earth, that has so touched Ruth's heart that Ruth doesn't want to be separated from her mother-in-law. Something has happened to her. She has encountered something in the, in the courageous way this little girl has handled her losses that has touched Ruth's heart. And she makes a statement that is so profound, so extraordinary in its scope and so unreserved and total in its consecration that this little foreigner, her words are found in the Bible and probably her words have been used at more marriage ceremonies than virtually anybody else's words in the Bible. And these words were spoken at my own wedding. Because as this little girl had to decide, will she go with her mother-in-law to a land that is not her own? To a, a faith that 
had been foreign to her but is now becoming real to her because of the faith of her mother-in-law. She says to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Got to ask a question. What did Ruth see in Naomi to create this kind of loyalty? It's a great question. What kindness and grace did Ruth witness in her mother-in-law's life that has now framed an entirely view of her future and it's based on faith? It's a great question because, you see, I reflect on exactly the same thing about my mum. What was it about my mum that has me standing here in front of you today? Because I'm just one small story in a very big story. And my mum was just one small story in a very big story. But I can tell you many moments when my mum did to me what Naomi did to Ruth, marked her heart. See, when I was a child, I remember a woman knocking at the front door of our house. She was obviously a woman um, on hard times. And she was making potpourris, little, don't think people do that anymore, stuffing little sacks with pleasant smelling spices and you put it in your clothes, put it, hang it up in your wardrobe. And the lady came to our door with a little basket of things and she was selling things door to door. And I remember as a child standing beside my mum when this lady was at the door. And my mother asked her had she eaten. And she brought the lady into our house and sat her at our kitchen table and made her a meal and fed her. And I remember standing in the kitchen looking at this woman and knowing she's not part of our family. My mum's a generous woman. My mum loves people. My mother's kind. She cares about... She sees things. My mother was a pianist. My grandma was a music teacher and my mother was a pianist. I remember going with my mother one day to an insane asylum in Kew. It still existed then. And my mum played, was playing the piano... In, in a room of hundreds of just people who were mentally really frayed. And I remember my mum standing there at this piano, playing the piano while people were wailing and groaning and it was just a, just a bizarre place to be. And feeling so insecure, but realising my mum wasn't insecure. My mum was singing songs of faith and worship and talking about Jesus. I remember her gracious, kind, her thoughtful, patient life, just doing good. What did Ruth see in Naomi that would cause her to say, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And may the Lord deal severely with me if anything separates us, even death. 
What did she see? See, I watched my mum grow up in the Lutheran church. Lutheran church was not a Pentecostal church. And here my mother, at the age of 52, got baptised in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That was the week my brothers put their fists up to my father and said to him, we're not doing what you say anymore. And within days, my two brothers had packed their bags, got on their illegal motorcycles and ridden off into a life of crime, drugs and crazy living. But you see, mum had been baptised in the spirit that week and she'd discovered speaking in tongues at the age of 52. And as a result, my mum prayed like she'd never prayed before. My mum later told me, had I not been baptised in the Holy Spirit that week, I don't know how I would have survived with my boys walking out the door like that. Did mum rant and rave? No, no. My mum had been touched by the Spirit and she just became a prayer warrior. And the way that unfolded was really quite extraordinary because, you see, my brother got arrested by the Commonwealth Police with the possession of a whole bunch of drugs. And when he, when he was arrested, the, he said to the policeman, um, what can I do to get myself the best chance of not going to prison? And the policeman said, put yourself into a drug rehab centre. Um, the, the judge will see that as an act of taking this thing seriously. And so he committed himself to a government rehabilitation centre. And on the fourth night, he was lying in that rehabilitation centre and an idea came into his head that if there really is a God, maybe there's a way out of this. And he checked himself out about in the, in the middle of the night and hitchhiked his way across Melbourne, and it just happened that an old school friend happened to pick him up and drove him to my sister's house, and she'd only just recently come to Jesus. He knocked on her door at four o'clock in the morning, and howling his head off, he fell in on the, uh, on the floor, and the next day she took him to see a friend of mine, and he led my brother to Jesus the next day, and today Neil's doing really well. Now he's married with three kids of his own and a bunch of grandkids. And for 14 years he ran Teen Challenge in our state of Victoria. But you see, years later, my mother told me a story. She said the night that Neil came home to Pammy's place, she said she woke in the middle of the night and she could see a vision of my brother Neil lying on a floor with chains all over him. And she slipped out of her bed onto her knees and all night long she interceded for my brother. And what she wouldn't know until later on that while she was interceding in her bedroom for her youngest son, he was driving across town, picked up by a friend and the next morning he would give his life to Jesus. That's my mum. But mum never felt like this was a glorious part of a big story because, you see, she was at home the night the police came to arrest me for milking petrol out of a policeman's car. <laughs> my mum grieved for five years when my brothers packed their bags and got on their bicycles and motorbikes and rode off into the wild blue yonder. 
she would not in any way have seen those moments as being part of a great story of salvation. She could well have said, just like Naomi, the Lord's hand has turned against me. She never said that. But that's how you can feel when your small story is so hard and so disappointing and appears to be so lacking in fruit. Will all my kids end up in prison? What did Ruth see in Naomi that caused her to bond her heart to want to now move into Israel and set up home in a foreign, foreign town called Bethlehem? What was it? See, I saw it in my mother the day my father died. I, was, uh, I took my father's funeral and I consecrated the grave where he was laid. And as I stood beside my mother at that, uh, at that grave, I heard her say what she must have said to my father over and over again. She simply said to him, Good night, sweetheart. I'll see you in the morning. And there will be a morning. See, Naomi was a good woman. She was a child of Abraham. And Ruth was drawn to the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob by her faithful but difficult life. And it ushered this little Moabitess into a relationship with God. Do you know what it says in the Bible? No Moabites shall enter the temple to the 10th generation. Moabites weren't favoured. This little Moabites touched the heart of God. And home she went with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. And there, when she got home, all of the relatives were so excited to see Naomi return, bringing with her all she had left to bring was a little widowed daughter-in-law. And you hear the cry of her heart when she was met by her friends. She said these words, don't call me Naomi. You see, Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, because Mara means bitter. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Oh, sweetheart, I know that's how you feel. But you need to know, sweetheart, nothing can separate you from his love. No, misfortune... Uh, is part of the war zone of life. He didn't pick you out to make your life miserable. In fact, you're a little champion. He's for you, sweetheart. And what you don't fully appreciate is that standing right beside you are the seeds of everlasting life. Because as God said to Eve and the woman, uh, your seed and the seed of the serpent, there's going to be enmity. But the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent, crush his head. What she didn't understand was the very seeds that would be carried into the life of Jesus were standing right beside her. The seeds of everlasting favour were standing right beside her because that precious little alien 
that she had brought home with her from her land of distress would be the great-grandmother of Jesus Christ himself. And through Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law, a kinsman redeemer stepped up. His name was Boaz. And Boaz took Ruth and Naomi into his own household. And Ruth became the wife of Boaz. And Samuel then records this entire little story for one reason, to demonstrate how Jesus came into the world through David. You see, you read this in, put this last screen up, listen to the way in which she describes herself. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. I can guarantee you something. Um, God hears his kids complain quite often. He's not, he's not surprised. Because God knows that life can be very distressing and often very confusing. What did God think when she said, the Lord has made life miserable to me? He said, oh, I understand. Simply not true. He doesn't get angry and cross you off, your Christmas, off his Christmas list because... You found life disappointing and you found your life hard. But I can guarantee you something that Naomi is not disappointed with the outcome of her faithful life today. She's part of that great crowd of witnesses in heaven. And the reality is that every single mother is found in these two mothers. It's small stories that make the big story. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Sometimes your kids say they hate you. Sometimes they pack their bags, leave home, and it looks like things will never come right again. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. See, my mother thought I would end up in jail. But here I am. Here I am. Um, I didn't go to jail. Mum, I'm doing okay. I'm doing well, Mum. And partly, Mum, I'm doing well because... You planted things in me. I was a naughty boy. But Jesus is winning. Christ is king. There is a great story. And the great story is wrapped up in Jesus. And to every single mother here today who feels like your small story has been a disappointing one, Jesus would say, be thou faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of life. And you still, you have yet to know what profound changes you have wrought in the lives of other people. And one day when you see the part you played in the big story, you'll be shocked. You'll say, I never imagined that all of that could possibly have come out of my little troubled life. So sweethearts, mums, be the bold, courageous, 
and godly woman that you are. God is watching over you. He watches over your tears and he watches over your troubles. And one day when the big story is finally told, you won't be disappointed either. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every mother in this house. Particularly, I pray for the ones who today feel like it hasn't gone as well as you'd hoped. There's been trouble you hadn't anticipated and it's not all resolved yet. There have been times when you felt like, what, have I, what did I do to deserve this? Where did I go wrong? What mistake did I make? <laughs> Naomi said all of that. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Oh, sweetheart, you have no idea how full you really are. You have no idea the glory that will come out of your faithful years, your tears, your courage. My mum could never know when she fed that little woman in our kitchen that I would remember that moment for the rest of my life. She couldn't know that when I was standing next to her in that insane asylum that I would remember that moment for the rest of my life and when I'd finally got over being naughty that I would serve the Lord good on you mum mum you're a hero I'm so grateful for you and I pray today for your for your mothers in this room that have felt that life has been less exciting and maybe more bitter than they had hoped I pray today, let the word of the Lord come to you and say, Fear not. You have not been left without a kinsman redeemer. Jesus is coming. I pray for every tear you have wept and every prayer you have prayed and every, every turning heart that you've longed to see turn. I pray for you, your faith will not fail. And I pray in the name of Jesus that at the end of all things, you will be able to say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. God bless you. When you go out today and they give you flowers and maybe buy you dinner and um, say they love you, I pray that you'll receive in your own heart today a little stamp of approval from the King of Kings. So your small story is not forgotten, sweetheart. Well done. Amen. Let's all stand together. What I love about this story is um, that here was this Moabite woman who because of her background and she was like an outcast and yet she's chosen to be the great great grandmother of Jesus she's just powerful as a Moabite she should never ever ever have been on that list but God in his grace and mercy 
uses her to bring Christ into the world. And maybe there's some people here you're saying, God could never use me. Or I could never be part of that story for whatever reason. Well, I want you to know that the God that we serve is the God of grace. He's the God of mercy. He loves you. And all you need to do, like her, is Ruth, is just turn to Him. Say, Lord, I just want to serve you. And as you do, God will use you in a mighty and powerful way, like He did Ruth. Father, I just thank You for this word. I just thank You for Your grace and for Your mercy and for Your heart towards us. Bless this day, I pray. And above all else, Father, let us turn towards You. And Father, thank You for Your grace, Your mercy that You've shown towards us. Bless this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people love the word today? What a great word. Come on. God bless you. You have an awesome day. Mums have a powerful day today. God bless you.